Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 777 with Scott Landers. A lot of times, so much of this packaging really is coming from overseas or on these long haul supply chains. You know, you're one trade deal away or one issue at the port from it getting held up for six months. So looking for domestic or as as local as possible of of manufacturers can introduce a little more resiliency uh, around that supply. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. What do you do when you need design work done, but you don't have an artistic bone in your body? You go to 99designs.com. That's what you do. And that's what I did when I needed to update my cover art for Restaurant Unstoppable podcast. And I have to tell you, I could not have been more pleased with the experience. Again, head to www.99designs.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save $20 off your first contest. That's 99designs.com slash unstoppable streamline your clean faster than ever before with ecolab sink and surface cleaner sanitizer ecolabs two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house back of house and the third sink like other epa registered food contact surface sanitizers it helps protect against foodborne illness to learn more visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your ecolab representative This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free what's going on unstoppables i have a great show for you today but before i hit play on today's episode and give you a teaser of what to expect i want to remind you that there's a few ways you can support this podcast if you're finding value the best way to support the show is by sharing it so right now if you're listening to the show uh, or if you're finding value in today's episode i encourage you i remind you to screenshot whatever audio player you're using and tag me on instagram eric Cacciatore, that's at Eric, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. I'll thank you personally. And also, I'm on Clubhouse now. So if you're on Clubhouse too, come follow me. Again, that's Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. I plan on going hard on Clubhouse in the next few months to really test it out and to see what it's all about. So if you're interested in that, uh, come come join Clubhouse and find me, Eric Cacciatore. Uh, you can also use the links whenever we talk about a tool or service or technology, and there's going to be plenty of them today uh, on the show. Uh, please use our links. When you use our links, these pe- these companies see that you know the this, this show has traction and they support the show by giving us a commission whenever you buy those tools or products or uh, they'll even sponsor the show, which really helps. Which brings me to my next point. Use my sponsors. Uh, if you use the sponsors who I really do vet, uh, they will come back and spend more money on ad space and you have no idea how much that supports the show. 
So we have a great episode for you today. I'm talking to Scott Landers. So Scott Landers uh, was referred to me by a few people within Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Also, if you're not in the network, come hang out in the network. We're hanging out every day. It's been a lot of fun. I'm literally connecting you guys with my network of restaurant tours uh, and the tools and services and people they're recommending organically on the show. And you actually get to connect with my restaurant tours. A little teaser. We have a Brian Bogert, who was last week's guest joining us this Friday to reflect on his episode and to answer your questions. So there's a lot of value within the network. Um, but anyway, today, again, we're talking to Scott Landers. He is the founder of Figure 8 uh consulting or logistics figure eight logistics which is a consulting firm specifically for delivery so uh basically today we're talking about how to create a native delivery system in your restaurant so what does that mean basically instead of of going to third-party platforms to do your delivery we're talking about how to create that in-house and the key variables that you need to know when trying to do that in-house. Uh, we also get into how to migrate people from these third-party delivery platforms to your native platform. So this this episode is a direct result of the network of people asking me or or expressing what their interests are, and I'm going after the people that uh, are being recommended within the network to to be the authority on these subjects. So. Tons of value in today's episode. Lots of tools and services get recommended in today's episode. So again, I remind you, if you're interested in any of these tools, specifically Bbot and Toast POS, come to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna rally for you to get you the best deals, and I, I want to hook you up. So uh, I think that's enough for today as far as what to expect. So I'll go ahead and hit play. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Scott Landers. My man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, despite the blizzard behind me. We're going to do this. Oh, thing. my God. Thank you for, for making it today. I was wondering if we're going to be able to do this with the, the blizzard. It's, it's actually headed up our way. I'm in New Hampshire. It's going to be a doozy. Uh, but so if you guys are not familiar with Scott, he is the founder of Figure 8 Logistics, where they specialize in helping restaurants create native delivery and online ordering in their business. And on the show, it's been coming up a lot. Like the, these third party platforms are great for marketing and, and getting your brand out there. But really, what you want to start doing is if you can do this in house, if you can own your ordering and your delivery, there's better margins to be had. So that's hopefully what we're going to learn today is what we need to what we need to know if we want to do um, in house native delivery. Uh, Scott is the foremost expert that I've been able to find. Uh, he's been he's been recommended a bunch of or- organic times on the show. So I can't wait to dive into today's conversation. But before we dive in, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Scott, what do you have for us? Uh, well, for me, I, I grew up on a farm. That's probably the first thing you should know about me. Nice. And uh, ever since I was little, my mantra has always been get your hands dirty and change the world. Nice. Um, dude. I like the key that. part of that being get your hands dirty. That's really the, the best way to learn when it comes to, to building anything. I love it. Um, so take us back a little bit and tell us how you, how you found yourself in this situation to be setting up other restaurants uh, for success when it comes to online ordering and delivery. What's your background? Yeah. So, so as I mentioned, originally, I grew up on a farm uh, in Northeast Texas, been six generations. It's still in the family. Uh, so that's my, my original connection to food. Um, I went to school at MIT for civil engineering and had a career as a civil engineer for a few years in Boston, um, working on all kinds of, of infrastructure in cities, in, in rural areas, you know, everything from landfills to sewer pipes. So really heavy things that, that you know, you have to 
think of as the critical infrastructure of a city. Um, over time, that, that led me to the interest in learning ultimately about the consumer side of, of agriculture and wanting to kind of get a little bit closer to my roots. Um, so uh, I, I looked for food jobs in New York City and um, ended up finding this company called Dig In yes. here in, in New York that, that at the time had only about 13 locations. I think now they're up north of 30. Yeah. Um, and that is a brand that is on my radar for sure. Um, I'm a, you're reminding me that I need to reach back out to them to try to get them on the show. Keep going. Definitely. Um, so I joined Dig In, uh, in in what was called the Senior Leadership Rotation Program, which allowed me to spend time in, in every department of the company, really, um, real estate and construction, accounting, marketing. Um, but ultimately, where they needed support was in the off-premises department. Um, they had been doing delivery for a long time, you know, seamless Grubhub with their own drivers, um, but saw all the change that had been coming and really needed someone to kind of own that department and really take it to the next level. So I spent two years at Dig In, um, really rebuilding a lot of the key infrastructure for off-premises from the inside out, you know, overhauling our catering operations, bringing in new technology, outsourcing some of the logistics, really just optimizing that, that operation um, to get it ready for the next level. Um, and in that process, uh, realized just how difficult that was and what I was taking on. So, you know, if you wanted to um, learn how to write a P&L for a restaurant, you could Google, how do I write a P&L? And you got a thousand responses. If you Googled how to build native delivery, and granted, this is 2017, which seems like a lifetime ago, um, there were no resources. Um, so after going through that process, we did a lot of really good work there, um, but realized that that process could be applied really to any restaurant anywhere in the world, because every restaurant was facing the same question of what do I do about delivery and then what do I do specifically about third-party delivery? So I know we're here to talk about delivery, and I know we're here to dive into how to create this native system. But I mean, when you come from an organization like Dig In, the student in me, the curious person in me, feels like there's some there's some nuggets that we can pull uh, coming up in such a great organization. So this was this your first restaurant job working for Dig In? This was. I'd never really worked in any commercial kitchen prior to that. So reflecting back at that time, working for this great uh, institution, this great organization, uh, what were some of the key things that you learned about what they do well uh, that you know has impacted you up to this point as a professional in your own business? Yeah, one Curveball. of the things that, that they did um, <laughs> best is uh, they really had a such a strong uh, hold over their finances, you know, in, in terms of reporting every week uh, across every restaurant. So we had um, a very clear visibility into, into where the money was going. And there was this line called seamless Grubhub fees. And you could just see that, that line getting bigger and bigger. Um, I'm going to pull back so a few more layers on this. How are they communicating this information to you guys? Like what was the, their process for the site or putting this information out so everybody could get access to it? Yeah, they, they really, um, you know, had, had a great accounting team that would share these numbers out on a, on a P&L every week. Um, so at least the, the numbers that were operational, you know, food costs, labor costs, paper, um, you just had really great visibility and could see very clearly, these are the restaurants that have delivery. These are the ones that don't. And it was almost like a nice A-B test, um, even within the same portfolio of restaurants. Now, I'm curious. So, so it sounds like they clearly implemented open book management. Uh, how did they use open book management to kind of like create a, game, like a, a sense of gamification? Or how, do they, how would they communicate to you why it was important for you guys to be paying attention to these numbers? Yeah. So what was really great is you could almost map every person in the company or every department in the company to a line on the P&L. So it was very clear who had ownership over what. 
um, you know, the ops managers had ownership over, you know, food and paper and labor. Um, there were other things like, you know, the delivery costs and, and maintenance fees that more clearly fell into the off-premises department. And I think it, it allowed everybody, you know, a sense of ownership that they could do something about it. But also it very clearly showed you, you know, how your work um, kind of bubbles up to this overall um, kind of top line number that, that you would look at. So I think that ability to take what otherwise can seem like, you know, just gross annual revenue and break that down to very specific, um, you know, smaller, smaller amounts allowed allowed you a sense of ownership, but a sense of control to actually do something about it. Yeah. Listening to you talk, I can't help but think of um, the advice from the the E-Myth where they talk about everybody in that organization has to have next to their name or next to whatever the job title is, their responsibilities. And I love that idea of incorporating that men- that mentality with a P&L, with here are your responsibilities and here are the items and the expenses. So you can really hone in as a manager on a specific part of the the organization, like what exactly the expenses are that you're responsible for when it comes to open book management. I think that, so thank you for painting that picture as to what that should look like and what that can look like. And I know that's not what we're here to talk about today, but I had a gut feeling there was a nugget there and I think we got it. So uh, anything else you want to share in that before we move forward? No, I think I think that really was was my first um, kind of visibility into you know the power of having a P and L, having having forecasted budgets, and, and actually just today we finished up our 2021 forecasting here for Figure Eight. So I've brought a lot of those practices uh, with me, even though I love it, uh, you know, To your point, it's not specifically about delivery; it's everything that that wraps around it. Yeah. So anything else uh, at your or with your experience? And I, and I like to, to share the backstory of my guests, especially when they're coming on to talk about a specific topic. So we kind of understand like, oh, we should be listening to this dude. He definitely, you know, comes from good pedigree, you know? So any other big lessons or hard lessons learned working at figure eight when it came to implementing their delivery? Yeah. I, the biggest, the biggest thing when it comes to delivery, um, and this is influenced by my, my background at MIT and working as a civil engineer is, um, looking at the whole system. So my role at Figure Eight, uh, I'm not the CEO. My, my role is systems engineer, <laughs> and and the whole team knows that. So um, what that means is is really looking at delivery as as a holistic system and not just uh, looking at the individual parts. Um, and then for me, that that always reinforced is how how I approach these these opportunities or these challenges is. Um, you know, oftentimes the problem as it presents itself isn't the solution. You know, that might be uh, a different part of the system that's actually causing that problem. So um, the ability to really just step back and look at the whole business um, and then start to move that forward uh, is, is an approach that we use every day. I love that, man. Uh, so, okay, let's just get right into it. So let's go to 30,000 feet. Paint the big picture for, for us real quick. What you want to cover today and then we'll start to hover over those little details as we go forward. So go 30,000 feet, paint the big picture. What are you going to share with us today? Yeah. So the challenge really is how to build a modern restaurant, you know, at at the highest level. Um, The way that we've run restaurants for thousands of years uh, has changed very rapidly in the last 10. Um, You know, cooking food is still the same, but the way in which you deliver that food to the guests, the way in which you attract a guest to your concept um, has completely changed with you know the advent of, of the internet and, and social media. And that has all been really amplified now um, in the last year or two, um, particularly when you can't go to a restaurant. So, um, you know, just because you can cook the food, it doesn't mean that, that there's going to be someone there to serve it to. So the question is, you know, how do you find new guests um, that order the way that they want to order? Um, how do you adjust your operations um, 
to be able to make sure that you're cooking food that still tastes as great 20, 30 minutes later. Um, and then ultimately, what are these new components of the restaurant business that are now table stakes? Um, you know, 10 years ago, seamless might have been optional. Um, having delivery might have been optional. Uh, but if you're opening a restaurant now in 2020, um, you know, we like to think of it as how do you open as digital native or, or native first, meaning that the delivery business is as designed into the walls and, and the business model of your restaurant as is, you know, the head chef and the labor model. So th- those three questions again, I got, were how do you find the guests and um, how do you prepare that food in modern world and how, how, what are, what is the new technology, the new components? Did I get those right? Yes. And you also, I saw on your guide that you break it down into humans, hardware and software. Is that kind of the same paralleling three questions we have to ask? So, so we like to think of, of humans, hardware and software as the three elements of system design. So whether you're designing uh, an app to uh, track new guests to your website or whether you're designing uh, the actual kitchen layout, we really want to make sure that we're addressing all three of these components. Um, historically, you know, you really um, only had to focus on the humans. Hospitality is a very human centric business. And if you have you know, great front of house service, um, a chef that, that really pays attention, not just to the food, but the people, you could open up a successful restaurant um, and, and, and win. Now there's this third element of software that, that runs through every aspect of, of the restaurant industry. Um, and a lot of times that's, it gets over-indexed because it's so easy to change your software and, and there's always something new coming. Um, but what we think about is making sure that those three elements, you know, the humans, the hardware, and the software all play uh, in harmony together. Beautiful. And uh, we're going to take our first break, quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. I don't know about you all, but when it comes to artistic ability, I am a hopeless. The best I can do is a, a couple of stick figures and that's on a good day. So if you're anything like me and you need design work done, I'm telling you, 99designs.com is your solution. And we just recently launched our contest with 99designs for a new logo, an updated logo. Man, I'm telling you, the experience was seamless. And I was so impressed with how attentive the designers were and how they just wanted to please us. And it was like overnight, we had countless submissions on what we asked for. And I'm telling you, the experience is fun. It's a fun experience. I highly recommend 99designs, whether you're trying to improve your online presence or maybe you're launching a ghost kitchen and you need a brand fast. Now, go with 99designs. Head to 99designs.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you'll save $20 off your first contest. That's 99designs.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back and let, let's start to dive into these three elements that you've identified. Again, they're humans, hardware and software. Do it, do, does this journey start with humans? Is that where we need to put our focus first? Absolutely. Why, it always why comes is that? back to human centered design. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Get into it. Yeah. So, so first and foremost, um, restaurants are still about, about people. You know, the, the only reason you go to a restaurant is because you got to eat. Um, that's that's really where it all starts. And then secondly, you think of, of everything that, that eating kind of means to, to a person, right? It's, a, it's an opportunity to meet with your friends, to share uh, an experience, to reconnect with a flavor that, that maybe reminds you of a specific place and time. Um, so all of those aspects and elements of, of hospitality really do start um, and end with humans. But in order to get there, you have to, to add these other elements in. Uh, to make sure that that you're able to deliver you know the experience you want in a very human friendly way um, 
but still take advantage of all, all the modern uh, you know, technology and tools that are available. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting getting this started. Like uh, when I got into the restaurant game, I actually came in. Well, my parents opened a restaurant, but like I, I did spend ten years from like high school into like, throughout college and into my late twenties working at a pizza place, and they did native delivery. I mean, that's like that that was the only option fifteen years ago was native delivery, right? Um, how what's changed in regards to to the human element? Um, how does the, you know, obviously the, the technology has evolved, uh, with the admin of the internet and all these third party deliveries. I mean, they're playing into the delivery game, like, but, but really identify the human element and how, I mean, I feel like it's, I guess where I'm going with this, I feel like it always started with the human element, the most basic way of doing delivery. We evolved away from that and now we're trying to evolve back to it. Or, or- exactly. Exactly. So I think it's, uh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, 30, 40 years ago, it was all humans and, and a little bit of hardware, um, What's happened, and maybe without us entirely realizing it, is a lot of those human interactions have been replaced by either hardware or software. Um, and, and you feel that you lose just a sense of hospitality. You know, I, I'm sure when you, were, when you were working at the pizza shop, every order was placed over the phone. You know, Tony down the street calls and says, I want a, a cheese extra large and, you know, a side of garlic knots. Um, now... Tony can't, can't probably get through to the restaurant over the phone and is trying to place that order um, through a piece of software, through an app. And I think you, you lose a certain human element if it's not designed correctly. And, and really thinking about, you know, when you're on the phone, they say, well, you know what goes really great with the, the garlic knots? You got to try our marinara sauce, right? Yeah. That app might not suggest that if it's not properly designed into it. So you can think of it as, as taking that human element and designing it back into you know, your software experience so that it's just as thoughtful as the person on the other side of the phone would have been almost like in the idea of like what we train people on how to be hospitable in person and on the phone is anticipating needs. I kind of feel like that's what you need to do with your, your app, whatever you choose to use is what, what is, what is the the next question the guest is going to ask and how can you have that question ready to be answered? Like how can you incorporate that within the user experience? Absolutely. I think, I think that's a great way of thinking about it is, is anticipating needs. And, and the other one that goes with it is change management. Um, so something as simple as, uh, you know, the pie of the day or, or a daily special um, is very easy when, when you have humans. You know, you have a pre-shift, the chef comes out and they say, wow, we got some great eggplant in today. I you know, was prepping around with it and we're going to do an eggplant pizza today, tonight only. Um, and then the server says, wow, you know, we've got this special with the eggplant pizza. You want to try it out. And, and, it, and it's a great uh, experience for everyone. But how do you promote um, that? What happens if you, yeah, exactly. If you yeah. haven't designed uh, either a daily special or some way of very quickly implementing those changes in the software. So, um, you know, bringing it back to native delivery, the more that you can control each of these elements, the more flexible you are in being able to um, own and adapt your business in the same way that you would uh, for a dining experience. So when it comes to human needs, um, we can, I think we can probably just round this off real quick, maybe come back to it later as we're going. Um, basically, you, you want to be able to remain hospitable on these technical platforms. Uh, you don't want to just make it a transaction. You want to try to anticipate the needs before they come up. Uh, it's kind of the big Absolutely. takeaway I've gotten up to this point. Um, why don't you just kind of go through hardware and software real quick just to kind of run through it. I'm going to take notes and we can kind of dis- dissect them after we've gotten the big picture. Yeah. So, so after humans, um, you know, the next thing we think about, and it is in this order is hardware because um, hardware is probably the, you know, one of the hardest things to change. So thinking about 
you know, designing the physical kiosk, right? So if you now are a lot of restaurants are opening kiosks in the front of house, uh, there's a tablet. So this is some new piece of hardware that wasn't part of your restaurant operation before. Similarly, thinking about even the vehicle that the driver is in, right? Your, your, your delivery bicycle or your delivery car, you know, these are new pieces of hardware that, that most restaurants don't have experience with. Um, you know, unless you, you are a pizza shop, which uh, seems to have been ahead of the game for, for the last few decades. Um, so really just being cognizant of, of how hardware changes over time. You know, bikes run out of batteries, uh, cars get flat tires. Uh, these are all things that are now critical to your restaurant operation the same way that having your oven uh, in great maintenance and your knife sharp were um, 20 years ago. Okay. So when it comes to hardware, um, and maybe this starts to get into... Maybe we're getting a little ahead of our skis. Um, hardware, we're thinking about terminal. We're thinking about POS. We're thinking about kiosk. Um, is there a is there a best practice as far as are are we getting a separate whole terminal or kiosk for delivery in itself, or why why not just incorporate the existing POS? What's what's going on there? Am I am I not making sense right now? No, no, no. I think it all comes down to to the kind of experience you want to build. Um, a lot of it is you can think of the trade-off between, um, you know, hospitality and throughput, right? So quality, quality versus speed is if you have one POS and you're trying to service your walk-in guests, your pickup guests, your delivery guests, and your catering guests, it starts to become a bottleneck, right? But if you open up a second or third terminal, not only does it increase your bandwidth, but now you can start to tailor those experiences. So the menu you have available on the kiosk maybe is a limited menu compared to what your full service menu is. And that could be designed for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the pickup food that you offer uh, might travel differently than uh, a more sensitive dish that really is only best eaten on site. Uh, so I think it allows you not only to increase your bandwidth, but to start to specialize against each of these new and emerging channels. Okay. Uh, is there anything regarding hardware that we have not touched on yet? Just making sure that you, you maintain um, the full scope of hardware. So the same way you would have a cleaning plan for your kitchen, you need to have a maintenance plan for your bicycles and your delivery bags. Uh, so just applying the same level of thoughtfulness to these new pieces of hardware um, you know, that you would to your knives and ovens. Okay. Um, so just, yeah, incorporate that into, there's a name for it. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But um, okay, moving on to software. Um, what are the key elements of software that we didn't know? So I think the first thing to remember with software is that it, it's changing very rapidly. And, and that is a little bit of a double-edged sword. One, it means that, you know, if you don't have the tool you want today, just wait six months and someone's probably going to come up with it. Um, but two, it, it's making sure that you really use the software as you want it to be used. Um, so I think there's a tendency in, in the world today where, um, labor is expensive. Everyone's trying to save, save a dime that you can automate everything and, and just load it up on software and, and you'll somehow come out ahead. Um, I would say that's true to an extent. You know, there are things that can be automated, right? Your, your PMIX, your, your financial reporting, uh, online ordering. And then maybe there are things that shouldn't be automated, right? So having a feedback system that is purely software driven that guests just get an automatic email um, might not be the most hospitable experience. You know, you think about the dine-in uh, experience. If you have an issue, you say, hey, can I speak to the manager? They come over right away. They talk with you. They understand your problem. 
you know, maybe they, they give you a, a bottle of wine if it was really bad and, and they, they're able to make up for it. Software just isn't, isn't capable of doing that. And I know that AI is smart, but it's not human. And at the end of the day, we have to remember this is hospitality. So when I think of software, I think of making sure that you use the software as a tool and not letting it you know, dominate your business. Yeah. So I think this, the sentiment that you're sharing right now is kind of the, the mentality that third party delivery services want us to use is that, Hey, we're doing, we're taking on all the responsibility. All you have to do is sign up and we're going to be lead generation for you and your business. You don't have to worry about employee labor. You don't have to worry about hiring. You don't have to worry about insurance. Like it's, it's done for you. It's streamlined. It's automated, right? But is that right? Like, what are we not <laughs> taking into consideration? I guess, I guess is I'm I'm sure what people want to who are listening to this want to know. Like, why wouldn't we just go that route? And why do we want to own this? Yeah, I think the the new um, the new word is data. Right. This is this is a word that gets thrown around a lot, uh, and it can be very polarizing depending on on how you feel about spreadsheets. But ultimately, data is a new currency in in at least in big tech speak. Um, and when you sign up for these things, yes, you get the convenience of uh, not having to build your own online ordering system, not having to run your own promotions. But what you lose is, is the creation of data. And, and secondly to that, or maybe in parallel with that, you lose that direct connection with the guest. So a lot of times what happens is software can become an intermediary between the restaurant and their guest. And at that point, you, you start to lose control. And, you know, while in the beginning that, that sounds nice because you have money coming in and things look good when you fast forward, you know, 10 months or even 10 years and you look down and you realize all of your orders are coming through some party. You can't pull a PMIX. Um, you can't get really fine resolution data like you would from your POS. And you don't even have a way to reach out to your guests if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you realize it's not your business. Yeah. And, and like, I think another way to look at it is we're we're in the relationship business. You know, it's yes. not just we're not just creating experiences and food for people. We're creating relationships, and those relationships are is truly where the value is. Because I mean, we're, we want you know the eighty twenty rule. We want. 80% of our profit to come from 20% of our guests because they know, like, and trust us. And we develop a relationship with them. And, um, we want to lean on that relationship, not on this third party aggregator to, we don't want to be dependent on these aggregators for business. So you, in order to, to maintain those relationships, you need contact information. You need data, emails, phone numbers to communicate, to let them know, Hey, we have a new special. Hey, there's a, an eggplant pizza today, you know, like, and like that's, and that's what you're getting at. So I'm pretty sure the natural evolution for the people who have joined us today and for the listeners that are listening to this post recording is what are the tools you're using and how are you, how are you duct taping all this together? That seems to be the real hard part is, I mean, you're a civil engineer. This is what you do. You, you find systems, you put them together to create an alt, a greater system, right? Are we going to get into that? Can we get into that? I think once we, once we know about these three elements, you can now start to get into what we call the delivery cycle, which are how you actually go about building, uh, building native delivery. Before we get into that, um, I feel like because we we have a pretty intimate group today, I want to give our uh, attendees a chance to weigh in Uh, any questions up to this point. We don't have to save our questions at the end. Brandon or, or Justin, I see Brandon, you put your hand up, go for it. What, what questions haven't we answered for you up to this point? Uh, no questions, man. I just wanted to chime in and say, man, Scott, sounds like you get it, dude. Sounds like you're right on, dude. So keep rocking, man. 
Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for the reinforcement, Brandon. We love that. <laughs> Justin, do you have any questions up to this point? Uh, none right now. All right. Beautiful. Thank you, sir. Okay. So get into it, man. Start, start dissecting, start like laying out the, you know, like what has been the best strategy you've seen and what are you coaching people to do when it comes to implementation? Yeah. So, so we use this idea of the delivery cycle, which is whether you're native or on third party, every delivery order, whether it's food on demand or, or pants, you know, a week later has to go through the same four steps. And those steps are the marketplace, the kitchen, the logistics, and the feedback. And that really completes a closed loop um, that, that we define as the business. Um, but it starts with the marketplace. So this is, is the point of sale, right? Where um, usually, you know, guests would walk into your restaurant and have a physical point of sale. Now that point of sale is online. So it all starts with um, where that transaction takes place and making sure that, that you as the restaurant own that marketplace. Even if you don't have your own drivers, you know, even if you're, you're operating out of a ghost kitchen, you want to make sure that you own that experience because your marketplace is basically your online menu and, and your digital storefront. Okay. So online marketplace equals menu and digital storefront. We're talking about our website, our Google SEO analytics, things like that, how we show up on Google maps, all that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It comes down to making sure that one, you you have a digital presence and that guests can discover you Uh, Two, starting to optimize that, that presence to where you're attracting, you know, the widest top of the funnel as possible. Uh, and then third is now getting to that actual e-commerce engine, right? Your online ordering tool, whether that's uh, a tool like Bento Box or Bbot, uh, there's a number of these providers out there. That is where, you know, instead of paying 20 or 30% commission, you might only pay 50 or 150 bucks a month. Uh, and, and you now have complete control over, over the menu. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this marketplace. Um, let's really start to dissect what we need to be thinking about as far as how we're discoverable and what our online image is. When you say the top of the funnel, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So making sure that when someone searches dinner near me or searches tacos, that, that you're being seen by as many people as, as practical or as possible in your, in your area. You know, if you only have um, an Instagram page, your audience and your top of the funnel is Instagram, right? If you have uh, Instagram and a Google My Business profile, it starts to get wider. So, so really thinking about how people discover food, right? Um, Google Maps is, is probably um, one, of the, one of the number one uh, ways that that's happening right now. And um, it's really easy to, to claim your, your Google My Business profile uh, and start to add information there, describing your restaurant, adding a little personal anecdotes, um, starting to make it feel as real and as, and as intimate online as it would be if somebody were to walk into your restaurant. So you basically want to make sure that you're able to be seen by as many people as possible in your, in your trade area. So if you could narrow it down to like, say three areas of focus when it comes to marketplace and where to be found, um, like what, what things, what boxes do we need to check? Just kind of list them out there for us so we can know where to follow up and continue our research. Yeah. So, so the first thing is you got to have a website, right? That's still, <laughs> still the starting point. Yeah. Um, the second one is then having uh, a native online ordering engine. So a way that when someone finds your website, they can then you know place an order directly there without having to be redirected to a third party. Once you have those two in place, you're now you're technically set up with native delivery and you're able to to accept orders. So then the third step is really just making sure that you you're presence is optimized. And I would say that um, if you had to pick one would just be Google and Google maps. 
Okay. And why, why that one? Um, I think thinking of how people search for new food, you know, there, there's still an element of discovery. You know, I think to your point, you have the 80, 20, right. Where 20% of your, uh, of your revenue comes from, uh, or excuse, sorry, 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your, of your guests. Consumers have a similar preference. You, know, you probably eat 80% of your meals from, you know, 20% of the same restaurants, but there's this other, other 20% of your, of your time where you want to find something new. You're like, man, I'm just in the mood for, for Ethiopian tonight, but I don't have my go-to Ethiopian place. So what do you do? You search Ethiopian near me, <laughs> or you go on, on, online and you look for you know, top Ethiopian restaurants in my neighborhood. And so if you're the Ethiopian restaurant, you want to make sure that you're able to be found when someone puts in that search. Uh, and Google is still the dominant search engine and one of the ways that people are, are actually discovering new restaurants. So tomorrow, if I'm going out to you know tackle native delivery and I'm hiring you, I'm sure you're doing like an analysis of my business, what my strengths and weaknesses are, and like where we need to get to work. Um, and if you notice that my SEO game is weak, specifically with Google, are you outsourcing? Are you connecting me with somebody else who's going to bring my SEO game up? Like, and who who is that person? Where are we going? Where did you go? Where are you telling my listeners to go right now to, to take that game up to the next level? Yes. Well, specifically, I, there's, a, there's a company called Hudson Creative that I would recommend. They really are, are experts at um, SEO, digital advertising, um, but specifically for restaurants. You know, they have a background in working with restaurants and in the restaurant industry. Um, what we do is mostly focus on that engine. So making sure that you have the e-commerce engine that your photographs are, are beautiful and that your menu is designed to maximize, you know, average check size. You know, I'm not an expert in, <laughs> in how to optimize, you know, your TripAdvisor listing, for example, but they'll be able to get that specific. Okay, um, cool. At least I, I, I didn't expect you to be the, the forefront leader in that conversation, but I knew you knew someone and I was trying to get it out of you. I think you gave us that. So you can probably expect a workshop on uh, Google analytics and uh, SEO from Hudson creative in the near future. Um, if they're willing, you guys look out and come in after you uh, websites is something that you definitely focus on. I'm assuming you help build out that part of things. So, or are you outsourcing what's going on there? Yeah. A, a lot of times restaurants already have a website, but maybe don't have the native ordering bit. So we'll come in and, and just work to, to build that native online ordering um, part of the, of the stack. Uh, separately, you know, there are companies like bento box that, that do a really good job of offering um, kind of a website out of the box. So really what we do is, you know, we're not going to build the website directly, but we'll work to find the right vendor that integrates with your POS that meets your, your, your budget. Um, and oftentimes will provide both the website and the online ordering. Okay. Um, again, just like you did with who you go to, to, um, meet this need on SEO. Who do you go to to meet the need with websites? Who are your go-to? It sounds like bento box is uh, somebody that you, you're, you're, you're speaking fondly of. Um, what are the other two providers you would say you'd go to in yeah. no particular I would order? Start with bento box. Um, Zeppler is another, uh, web, uh, another service that will provide both uh, a website and online ordering. Um, and then if you're looking to do something more custom, you know, Squarespace really is a great place to start. Uh, they have still so many, so many templates available that if you want to, to build your own website and if you're feeling, um, you know, maybe more tech savvy, that that's probably the, the, the best place to start for a standalone website. Okay. So if we, if we are going with a, a service like um, Squarespace, I'm, I'm assuming you're, there's probably a plugin or two that you're recommending 
to use that integrates well with other tools, specific, specifically when it comes to ordering, uh, developing a menu and ordering online? Like, what are those plugins? Yeah, well, so, so the nice thing is once you have a website, um, it's really just as simple as a link to, to find um, you know, your online menu. So you can have Squarespace as your website host. You click order now, and then maybe that's Bbot under the hood that's actually providing the, the e-commerce engine. Um, so, so it really depends on, on how much control you want over your website. Um, you know, within BentoBox, the way that they're able to offer this is it's pretty templatized out, and you can fill in certain forms um, and, and customize your website to a point. But if you want to go further than that, um, you know, that's where a tool like Squarespace, um, separate from your online ordering, allows you even even more um, kind of finer tuning. Okay. So you keep on bringing up Bbot. Um, I'm slightly familiar with Bbot. I know that they, I think what they want, I want to say they came up as a satellite company next to Toast. I know that a lot of people that work with Bbot used to work at Toast. I mean, is, is Toast... A, so out of this, the 780 interviews I've done, Toast is by far, especially in more recently, the, the most recommended POS, specifically for what we're talking about right now, delivery and online ordering. Um, does Bbot play well? With, like, w- like w- why Bbot, I guess? What, what's going on here? Yeah, so, so I think if you have Toast, right, Toast has now released uh, a native online ordering option. So you can have a fully integrated system where Toast is your online ordering and your POS. Um, but if you're on, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I don't want to call it any names, but an older or more legacy POS system um, that maybe doesn't have a great online ordering experience, that's where a tool like Bbot comes in, where Bbot can offer you kind of all the modern benefits that you would have gotten with Toast online ordering, uh, but will still integrate with some of these more legacy POS systems. Okay. So it really comes down to starting with what is your existing tech stack. Um, you know, if you're willing to upgrade your POS to Toast, and that is more of an all-in-one. But you know, some some restaurants um, maybe don't even have a POS. You, you maybe you just have a cash register, and you're not looking to roll out a full POS. And in that case, um, a standalone online ordering service um, like Bbot is is really f- filling that niche. Okay. Um, what are some of the other online ordering platforms that you have heard of that you would kind of mention in conjunction with Bbot? Absolutely. Um, there are a few. There's there's Lunchbox. They they really are um, focused on on maybe more chain restaurants and, and bigger enterprise clients. Um, there's a company called Brandable. They recently rebranded as Open Tender. Um, you know they, that's actually who we used at, at Digin to power all of all of our online ordering. Um, those companies are usually where I start in, in looking at, um, you know, finding the right tech stack for a given restaurant. Yeah. And I, I realize looking at my, my notes I'm taking here, I might've gone a little ahead we, we, we started going down this rabbit hole with the idea of marketplace, right? And we started talking about websites and I'm sure we're talking, we're getting into the software side of things right now. I'm starting to realize, um, maybe we can come out of this rabbit hole, uh, anything regarding, uh, marketplace, um, I mean, are third-party delivery platforms part of this integration, as part of this, this uh, I should say, uh, formula? Because we do want to, we do want to source customers from these platforms. From what I understand, it's good to be on these on these platforms for for discoverability, is it not? Yeah, exactly. So I think you know, and it's actually if there was a place to go down a rabbit hole, this is the one because selecting the right native online ordering provider is is where it all starts. If you, if you get the wrong one there, it becomes more difficult. Selecting the right native online ordering provider. Did I hear that right? Yes. Okay. That's right. So that's probably one of the the biggest decisions to get right. And, and the reason we, we focus so much on that is, is you should start with native, right? 
you know, if you are opening a restaurant, you know, the same way that, you know, you would make sure that, you know, you have visibility to Main Street, you know, having your website, that, that is your Main Street. Secondly, once you have native set up and that's your core, you know, business, that's what you're promoting on Instagram. That's what you're promoting in your emails. You know, that's what's on your website. Then it becomes a matter of now, how do I uh, attract other guests, right? Those guests that maybe don't search, you know, tacos near me. And that's where third parties come in. So we like to think of this as first party first, maybe third party second, right? At that point, you can start to look at, you know, are there different third parties that maybe play nice with your POS? For example, um, you know, DoorDash and, and Toast have an integration so that your orders will automatically flow through and you're not having to manually re-ring these in. So I think um, this is something that comes up often. It's like what the chicken or the egg, right? It, and if you're, if you're looking again, like it starts with native own your, you, the, the goal is to offboard these people from these platforms to your own. So you might as well have that ready to start receiving people before you start branching out. And I always say with, with most things of life, I, f- I figure that it's inner, inner out, right? Inner growth, in, like start working on your, on yourself, the details within and then start going out. You know, and I think this kind of applies there. Um, so if, if, if I'm a first time restaurateur, I'm opening my restaurant tomorrow, or maybe I do have a cash register uh, because, you know, I'm doing shady shit with taxes and I don't want to track everything. Um, and I decided now's the year I want to get legit. I want to start implementing in technology. I have one to five locations. What technology are you telling me to go with? If you if you decide to say, like, this is what I would do if I was opening a restaurant tomorrow. Yeah, I, I would call Bebot. Okay. And that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Toast has some form of B, is, aren't they like tied together some way, somehow? They, they were a little more tied together uh, a few years back. Now they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty independent. They're, they run in parallel. I think Bebot has a Toast integration. Um, okay. But if you already were on Toast, I would just say, you know, call your Toast rep and ask for their online ordering package. Okay, so Toast and Bebot, I mean, Bebot isn't Toast's solution for online ordering. Toast has their own solution. Correct. Bebot separate. Correct. Got you. Um, what if I'm, so if I'm using Toast, would you still tell me to go to Bebot? No, I would say stay with Toast. Okay. You know, if you already have a modern POS, Toast and Square are both really good examples. They, they've invested a lot in their own native ordering systems over the past year or two. Um, and that gives you the tightest integration, right? So if you can have a single provider, you know, Toast or Square that offers your online ordering, that runs your POS and has an integration with a logistics partner, that's going to be the most stable setup because you're not worrying about integrations. So, um, I, I, But not everybody's on Toast or, P- or Square. Okay. So I, I notice a, a lot of people are, and a lot of people are making that move right now. It's really taking the industry by storm. Um, what about Chali? It's, it was, it's a tool that's come up and I feel like Chali would serve as a B-Bot solution for different verticals and technologies. Yeah. So, so Chali is interesting. So there are native online ordering providers. There are POS systems that have their own online ordering. And then there are these connectors. So Chali, OrderMark, TriOtter, It's a Checkmate, all of those systems, they don't offer their own online ordering. What they do is they'll, they'll work to connect you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and Postmates and funnel those orders directly into your point of sale. Okay. Um, so they really are um, more of a bridge and a connector. Okay. So what is the, the specific difference between Chowley and Bebot then? Yeah. So Bebot offers uh, a, a, an e-commerce solution. So with Bebot, you can have uh, a menu hosted on your website 
you can put your photographs on there, you can change the prices, and a guest can actually place an order that you receive. Chowley would take that order from Bbot and maybe send it to um, Micros or send it to uh, Square gotcha. in a way that uh, really is more of an operational decision. It's a question of, do you want five tablets that you're manually ringing into your point of sale or, or do you want to automate that step? And that's what, what companies like Chowley do. Okay. So I know a lot of people who are listening to this say, okay, so I, I did do exactly what you told me to do. I started with in-house first, my native, I, I built my native delivery solution. Um, and now I'm on these other platforms because that's where I need to be. That's where all the, co- the consumers are. That's where the guests are. What, what advice do you have for people for offload or, or migrating people from these third party platforms where they might be habitual users of these platforms? How do you break that habit and get them off these third party platforms to order directly from you? Yeah, that's, uh, that's I, the rabbit I, I was, hole. I was going to say this is a million dollar question, but I think it's more like a, a billion dollar question these days. Right. <laughs> You know, I, it starts with, with having your native and, and promoting that on every piece of digital real estate that you own. You know, I still so many times will go to a restaurant's Instagram page and, and they're tagging Uber Eats or they're saying, you know, order through DoorDash. If I'm on your Instagram page, I want to order from you. That's why I'm there. Uh, so it starts with just making sure that every piece of real estate that you own, you're promoting your native solutions. Secondly, you can think about how do you begin to differentiate your native solution from your third party, right? This could be um, having specials that are only available online, right? So, you know, you want to get a free bottle of wine uh, with your order over a hundred dollars, you got to come order native. You know, we're not going to send that through Grubhub. So we're really starting to, to change the ways in which you use these tools. You know, you can think about using them as promotional tools rather than, you know, listing your full menu. Maybe you just list your top hits. So your Grubhub menu becomes more of like a, a taster menu or a sampler menu. But if you want everything we have to offer, you come to, to native. Um, I think that, that those are some tactics, but it really comes down to just finding ways of, of incentivizing that behavior. And it's not always transactional. It's not always just offering a certain dollar off or a certain percentage off to go native. It's offering an experience that they can't get anywhere else. You know, you think about... So you're talking uh, about user likes, experience when you're talking about an experience like like the actual process of ordering online that you can't get anywhere else. I, I would zoom out even further than that. So the user experience of kind of clicking through an app is going to be pretty similar, um, you know. But you think about the kinds of of loyalty programs you can build for native users that you can't on Grubhub, right? And and Sweet Green is probably a really um, excellent example of this. At least in their earliest days, you know, they're they're top tier. Uh, rewards point, you know, you get to go to a, the Sweet Life concert, right? That's something that Grubhub just won't ever offer, right? And that's why Sweetgreen kind of wins when it comes to having a native experience. One, the user experience technically is, is very slick. Um, but two, they're offering something that you just can't get anywhere else. And starting to just think about what is the full experience and the relationship that that guest is going to have with you. You know, maybe um, I'll, I'll give you another example. So Chick-fil-A, right? You know, to go to the other extreme, I have a friend who is a big Chick-fil-A fan. You know, they used to only order through Grubhub, right? Uh, and I finally said, well, why don't you try downloading their app and, and ordering native? And sure enough, she did. And on the first order, not only did the driver show up, the manager showed up as well. And they were like, hey, we have a couple of questions for you. We're trying something new out. We, we put uh, a sticker over the, over the cup. Uh, you know, what's your feedback? How do you feel about that? 
And she was blown away that they cared so much that that they were willing to send a manager to ask for some feedback. So I think that's again, that's an experience you're never going to get. I think that's one of the variables you get from keeping a native is you get to, you get to train and develop different standards, higher standards that like packaging. Well, I mean, packaging would go out the the same channels, I guess, but like just training your, like your drivers to not be jabronis when they drop off the food offering to sweep or mop like the stoop or like whatever, like any little thing you could do to provide a better experience a be of and beyond we care for you experience right absolutely um, so you mentioned um, the trick to integrating or migrating from third party to native is putting your native solution everywhere can you give me some specific examples of where your native solution needs to live like how yeah, do you promote so I, that so I would make sure that I had really accessible links on all of my social profiles. So oftentimes in, in your Instagram, you're allowed one link. Um, and, and sometimes they, they have a whole link tree or they send you to their website. That could take you just directly to your, your e-commerce, um, your online menu, right? Minimizing the number of, of clicks it takes someone to get there. Um, making sure that it's on your Google My Business profile. You know, oftentimes... Uh, restaurants just haven't claimed these profiles. Uh, but once you do, you can set your preferred channel. So if you are on, say, Toast and Grubhub and Postmates, Google will just list all of them on your profile. They don't, they don't really care. But as the restaurant, you can say, we prefer that guests order through Toast. And that will be listed now first in your profile. Um, so really just making sure that, that on all of these social profiles that you have, any piece of digital real estate that you can lay claim to, you know, that's where you're promoting your native. Yeah. And um, a lot of people, um, I mean, I feel like it's getting pretty well known now. There's a few options out there, but when it comes to Instagram, which is a pretty popular platform for restaurants, if you're not using Linktree, I highly, and you might've already mentioned that if you did, I I missed it. I apologize, but getting Linktree is huge um, because you only have one link on your Instagram profile. So what Linktree is, it's like a, it's like a stepping stone to provide multiple links. So you can have a link directly to order from like your website or would you recommend that? Uh, okay. So am I, am I linking directly to my, my website or am I linking directly to my menu? I think I would link directly to the menu. I mean, it really depends on, on how good your website is. If you have a really great website and maybe you're more of a fine dining restaurant, it's got a video or something link there. But if you haven't invested too much in your website, uh, but do have native ordering, you can kind of just short circuit right to the point and eliminate that extra click. What about email, like, you know, uh, footers and stuff like that? Like anything like creative that we're not thinking about that you haven't mentioned, you mentioned the obvious ones. What about the less obvious ones? Yeah, I think, I think email, every email that goes out should be linking directly to your native online ordering. You know, okay. I think skipping at that point, I know who you are. You know, the website really is a marketing tool. So once you've already marketed to me through email, you can just short circuit and go straight to um, your online ordering channel. The only other question I have regarding what we've like this rabbit, this current rabbit hole we're in <laughs> is um, when it comes to promotions and incentives to, to use people to get people using your native. Uh, one thing that I have heard uh, is that you charge more. You may, you basically you charge the difference on the third party. So say it's $10 for a burger and I'm putting that burger on Grubhub. It's not going to be 1150 because that's what it would cost. Whatever it is, you know, 15% difference. You just charge, that difference to those third party and then you communicate 
for normal rates order straight for can you put that in the menu like like what do you is, have you seen people do that is that a good practice I, I, you, I think you can do it. It's, it's, it's a little bit to remain to be seen on, on how good of a practice it is, but I've seen, um, you know, some restaurants on their Grubhub menu, they'll create kind of a fake item that says, you know, prices are increased by 10%. If you want, uh, you know, the better prices come straight to our, our website. Is that good or I, bad? I, I suspect at some point Grubhub will take those down <laughs> because they, they obviously don't want you using. But how messed uh, up is it that they can do that? Uh, you know, that's the world we live in. <laughs> Oh. Um, so, but I think, I think you're right is, is having a pricing differentiate differentiation. Um, but there are a lot of things you can do it. it I would say, just be aware of your options, right? If we are um, going to do that, I mean, would, would we have to create a, I'm assuming we would have to create a, like a mirror menu in the back that, you know, like, so when you're, when you're building your menu, you have one menu that is integrated with these, these third party platforms, you'd have to create a sister menu separate. Can, so like, I mean, just there's a few other Correct. variables to think of if you're going to take that approach. I don't know if we should go any deeper today unless you want to. Um, no, I, exactly. I would just say be aware of your options. If you are going to have split pricing, you'll likely need to build two me- different menus in Toast, for example, your dine-in menu, your your third-party menu. Um, the other tools that you have available are just being aware of what your delivery fee is set to and then being aware of what your order minimums are set to. So that combination of of your base menu prices your order minimums and your delivery fees are really the tools that restaurants have available when thinking of pricing. Okay. Any best practices when it comes to using those tools? No universal recommendations. It really depends on, you know, if you're a $10 burrito place or a Michelin star restaurant. All right. Got you. Um, Okay, we kind of went really deep into that and you were give us really great specific advice and details. I appreciate you very much for doing that. Um, Coming back to the surface, um, when we started this conversation, I think my notes are all over the place now. We really haven't dove into kitchen logistics and feedback. Um, I think that's kind of where we left off. Left off, is it not? Yeah. So I would say the next step is once you receive the order, is of course um, you know what you do with that in the kitchen. Okay. And, and uh, so yeah, and so the the briefly, I would say the two things to be aware of are um, first uh, any kind of KDS system, right? So Historically, you know, back to that humans versus software, you know, when the server takes the order, maybe on a, on a piece of paper, they'll just hang it up on the rail. Uh, you know, that was how the orders got made. Now that the orders are coming in digitally, it helps if they're fulfilled digitally in the kitchen. So really thinking about, is there a KDS system that can help you track these online orders so you don't end up with a bunch of papers all over the kitchen? Okay. The second uh, one would you think be, about it, it's, it's streamlined because I mean, if I'm yeah. taking, you know, I'm, I'm relaying a message via the phone, I'm writing it down digitally. It's just a snap of a finger. It's there. And I mean, if you can remove the human element there, but is that not being less hospitable? Well, in this case, because the order's already been placed online, right? You've already kind of removed that human element. And so now it's a matter of just making sure that you fulfill it accurately, right? Because there's nothing worse than placing an order and getting the wrong soup. Um, and, and kitchen display systems can actually help streamline that part as well, making sure that you know the chef or the the cook is is seeing the full order. It's also increasing bandwidth, and I think that's and when it comes to labor expenses. And you, if you can if you can st- streamline that communication that communication process, and also you're you're going to be wasting less, you're going to be getting more orders in. It's going to be organized better. Um, yeah, there's really a lot of good arguments to be made to switch to a KDS option. Do you have a specific recommendation? 
a lot of times this will be tied to your point of sale. So if you are on Toast or Square, you know, they have very good um, KDS systems. Um, secondly, you know, I would say it, it just comes down to looking at what your online ordering provider has. Um, you know, so what does that tablet look like? Is there a way that you can position it um, so that the chef can accurately see, you know, what they're cooking and not have to, you know, be running back and forth across the kitchen. You know, was there fries in that order or not? Yeah. Um, anything else that needs to be taken into consideration when it comes to kitchen? Just making sure that you, you test your menu to travel, right? This is one of those things that um, the people who are serious about delivery kind of take as a, as automatic, but if you're new to delivery, it might not, um, you know, be obvious, but, most of most menus are designed to be eaten immediately, right? It comes off the pass, you take it out to the table and within two minutes, you know, you're enjoying your pasta with delivery. There's going to be a minimum travel time, whether someone's picking it up and walking it back to their home or whether you're, you're, you're driving it two miles down the street. So accounting for what's going to happen to that dish in the 10 to 20 minutes after it leaves the kitchen and testing it in situ. So not just saying, well, I let it sit out and then I tried it. It's like fully package it up, put it in the delivery bag, let it sit outside in the blizzard for 10 minutes, <laughs> then bring it back in, temp it and try it yourself. And, and is it just as good or is it um, the quality that you would expect from your restaurant? Um, so even things as simple as not dressing the salad, right? Automatically just always putting the dressing on the side. Thinking about, you know, do you put the toppings in a separate container because they're cold and the burger's hot, right? So, so really just making sure that you make these little adjustments to how you package your, your meals for delivery. And then lastly, there are just some items that just don't travel, right? So sending a rare steak out for delivery is, is very difficult. Um, there are, are ways of doing it, um, but you gotta, you gotta be smart about how you do that. Yeah. Fajitas um, so, aren't quite the same experience for delivery. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so just making sure that you are as familiar with how your, your menu travels as you are with how it performs uh, for dine-in and, and, you know, be willing to take some things off and make those dine-in specials. Like, Hey, if you want the chef special risotto, you got to come in. Yeah. So one thing that comes up often um, that I see often are people having questions about which companies and services are out there who do packaging well, as far as branding, as far as eco-friendly. Are there any companies that come to mind that are your go-to? Because I'm I'm sure you probably outsource this element of your business. You probably bring in other companies as solutions for your clients. What are those companies? Yeah, I think some of the standard ones that you would look for are... um, you know, just which ones have sustainable packaging, right? Whether it's compostable, recyclable, companies like world centric eco products are, are really, really good. You know, not only are they uh, plant-based materials often, but they're, they're aesthetically pleasing. Um, you know, secondly, if you're looking for branded options, I would say, you know, there are a couple of companies that do this uh, really well. One is called Georgette Packaging. They actually are carbon neutral packaging based out of California. Um, and another one is a company called Templey. They're based here in New York and they uh, are really good at, at small batch custom custom packaging. Okay. And um, these these companies, uh, Georgist Packaging, was, what was it? Georgette. Georgette Packaging and Templey. Were they, were they, what was the name of the company, that the, the branded, uh, sorry, the packaging company that you, you recommended? Uh, for, for branded packaging, Georgette and Templey. Before uh, this, the, uh, the other company that you, I, I try to get it, I miss it. You're going too fast. Oh yeah, um, World Centric and Eco Products. So would would that those would World Centric 
collaborate with or play with nice with a Georgette? I like, how do those companies play? So, so that would be an either or. So you would most likely um, go to world centric for the things that you don't need branded. So okay. for example, a catering half tray, you know, unless you're a really giant company, you don't need to emboss your logo on the tray. Okay. Um, so you can get that from world centric, but the bag that you put that in, right. You probably want that branded and that would be where you go to a company like Georgette. Got it. So any, um, anything else worth worth unpackaging pun intended, um, around the kitchen before we move on to logistics and feedback. No, those are the main ones. All right, cool. Logistics. What do we need to keep in mind? Uh, the first question is, do you want to be in the logistic business? You know, that really is what it comes down to. Um, you know, to your example, if you're the the pizza place that's been doing delivery for 30 years, you almost certainly have your own logistics fleet, right? You have the pizza guy, you have your own pizza bags. And and part of the reason for that is that pizza has specialized uh, requirements. You know, the, the shape of the bag, the shape of the pizza box um, is different than what you would package tacos in, for example. Yeah. So if you have, you know, very specialized delivery requirements, you might want to look into hiring your own drivers or, or building up your own fleet. But if you don't want to get into the logistics business, or maybe you just have one location, um, or you don't have specialized requirements, you'll likely then be outsourcing your logistics. And there are a couple of ways to do this. A lot of times people think of, of outsourced logistics like Uber Eats, where you have the marketplace and they've bundled it with the logistics. And so it's a combined service. Um, but there are other services out there uh, like DoorDash Drive, for example, that are logistics only. Or, or here in New York, there's a company called Relay Delivery that is logistics only. And what this means is you can own your marketplace, right? Where you have all the data, you have a direct relationship with your guests, but then you outsource your logistics that last mile for a flat rate. So that's typically anywhere between you know 5 and $10, depending on where you are in the country and how far you're going. Got it. And uh, there was another, uh, oh man, it's re- re- repeat returns or something returns, or maybe it's returns with the Z. Kristen Zhao um, mentioned it in a past episode. Um, it's, it's literally just a delivery service. So you can own all of your native ordering and processing, but you outsource for that last element of getting it there. So it's still not quite 100% native, but at least the user experience ordering is native. So, I mean, right. so there are a few hybrid versions. It sounds like. That's right. And it really comes down to, you know, what your you want to own and what you want to control. Um, you know, we've spoken with, with Michelin star restaurants that they say, you know, we just don't trust anybody to deliver this meal. You know, someone just paid 400 bucks for this meal. We want to make sure it gets there right. So they, they, built their own delivery service. Uh, you know, the guys wear suits, they show up and it's all, it's all branded and, and a really great, um, you know, experience that they control. Um, but on the other end of the, of the equation, you know, if you are a really lean operation, um, you know, you only have one location, bringing on your own delivery drivers and hiring them as employees, you know, can change your insurance profile. For yeah. example. So, so you take on like a different set of risks in, you know, if that person gets injured or if you don't have different workers comp, um, you know, that actually changes the overhead of the restaurant business. Well, just so, be, your labor in, expense in general is going to go up. If you have somebody on at like even five bucks an hour for a delivery, you know, like, like that's going to start to affect your, your bottom line labor expense. And then like you said, insurance. So that was one of the questions I was going to kind of wrap up with is like, if you're looking at the big picture, all, all of the expenses you have to accrue to do native 
from A to Z, from placing the order to dropping off the order, is it more cost effective? Like wh- how how fine are those margins? Where when you're when you're shouldering all that responsibility, all the logistics, all the liability of having a new employee, paying that employee, covering the insurance, like when does it like where does it start to bounce out? Yeah, I, you've got to have the volume. I would say if you're starting out and you maybe have a new concept and you're not offering an undifferentiated logistics experience, like you know some guy showing up in a suit. Um, you're probably best to start with outsourced logistics. And, and this is the hybrid model that we end up building for most of our, our smaller independent restaurants with less than five locations. We make sure that they own their, their marketplace, that they've optimized their kitchen, and then they outsource that logistics part. Um, you know, but if you have a really high volume restaurant, you know, maybe you're doing two, three million a year and most of it's delivery, you can now afford to start to work in your own logistics. Um, I think, the other part is, you know, there are pricing implications. So you, you often see, uh, you know, free delivery versus like $5 delivery. And the way that that works out is the $5 delivery often means that they're outsourcing it. So the restaurant is paying someone $5 and they're just passing that cost onto the guest. But when you have your own drivers on staff, the name of the game is utilization, right? You want those drivers doing four, you know, five, maybe even six deliveries an hour if you can. And the way that you incentivize the most deliveries per hour is you offer free delivery. Um, so, so it does change kind of your pricing profile depending on whether you've insourced or outsourced your logistics. Yeah. One question. So I, I did host a clubhouse. We were actually going to try to do this recording over clubhouse today, um, but we had some issues. Um, you, uh, Scott had just signed up for clubhouse and I couldn't figure out how to invite him, how to invite him into clubhouse. But anyway, one of the questions that came up in my, my conversation about what we were going to be talking about today um, was how do you, how do you swing? Like if, if you're somebody who is about to implement native delivery, do you hire five delivery drivers or do you hire one and kind of let the demand determine like what, what is your advice for onboarding a delivery system? Is, like, am I making sense right now? Like how do you, how do you yeah. handle that onboarding process? I, I would start by having, you know, if you have an option to outsource it at a reasonable rate, I would start by having outsource. So that way you don't have to worry about it, right? Any order you get in, you know that, that a driver will show up. Once you have a base volume, right? Even if it's for, you know, a three hour period over lunch where you say, you know, wow, we're doing consistently, you know, 10 orders an hour for three hours, right? As like a minimum shift. Now you can think about, well, what does it take for me to bring on one driver to take on, you know, half of those deliveries and then I'll outsource the rest. So over time, as your volume increases, you're starting to replace um, that outsource with an insource. Got I think it. you have to just be really clever around, um, you know, recognizing that most of your orders are going to come in either in a, a three hour period over lunch and or dinner, depending on your business. And that's where um, you need your drivers, right? You don't need a driver on staff all day if you can outsource them during the shoulder period, for example. Um, and then you slowly work back up from there. I think, you know, unless you are, have a lot of capital to, to market and come out of the gate on day one with just a tremendous amount of orders starting with a team of five drivers will likely be an overinvestment. Gotcha. Um, all right. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to wrap up logistics and feedback. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? 
everyone. So streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact service sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 in 15 seconds, and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures, and help protect your team, your guests, and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit Ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system system you already use and trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months absolutely free. Head over to www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S.com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. We're back and uh, let's start to wrap it up. Um, we were just, I think we, we might have wrapped up logistics, but is there anything regarding logistics that you want to unpackage before we move on to feedback? Yeah, I would say two things. If you outsource your logistics, make sure that you curate your fleet. So a lot of times these services will have the ability for the restaurant to rate their drivers. So if some guy shows up, you know, looking like the, someone you wouldn't want to represent your brand or they're late or they were rude to your staff, you know, be sure to give them a down vote or, or zero star, right? So that way the people that are delivering for you, right, reflect your brand, provide a great experience to your guests, but also, you know, provide a great experience for your employees. On the other side, if you have in-source logistics and you run your own fleet, you know, this is where you want to make sure that you have that, that extra equipment. So investing in, in insulated delivery bags, right? Um, investing in, uh, you know, uh, a, a bicycle that allows your driver to not have to be recharging their battery every hour. Uh, just being aware of, of some of those additional hardware costs and, and making sure that you, you own that. Okay. Um, I would say as, as a future looking note, uh, once you get to, to that level, you know, bringing it back to pizza delivery, there are more advanced systems like heated pizza stones, right. That you can put in the bottom of the pizza bag that will continue to impart heat, um, while you travel. And, and those are some really advanced things that you can do uh, when you have your own fleet. Got you. So um, re- regarding logistics, I'm really interested in like this, this whole like last mile um, kind of segment that's developed. Like what is last mile delivery? Like what's, how's that different from some of these outsourced companies we would go to? Like what, like is, is last mile that specific? Like what is it? its own thing. Do we need to have a separate last mile delivery option versus another say five mile delivery option? Like, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. So so last mile really, really just refers to, 
you know, that last step from when the order is fully completed until it goes directly to the guest. You know, you can think of, by contrast, like the middle mile would be when it goes from a wholesale center to a retail center, right? Um, so for, for restaurants, we really are, you know, primarily only dealing with last mile logistics, unless okay. you get into something like Gold Belly, where you're, you know, shipping nationwide. So you're talking about the entire profile. life cycle of the product from when it comes from the farm to it gets into the consumer's belly. It's the last mile, not it's the last mile of that. Not, not, gotcha. not literally a mile. The last mile can be 10 miles. So what's with, <laughs> what's with this new vertical with like this, this, there seems to be a surge in the electric vehicle, last mile delivery option. Why is that so appealing? Why electric with the last mile delivery segment. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a just a broader trend toward electrification right now, you know, whether it's looking at recent executive orders that have come out of the White House or looking at GM's decision to electrify their full fleet, um, I think by 2035 or something. Um, there is just a move from, you know, manual power in the case of bicycle or, you know, an internal combustion engine to an electric vehicle. Um, but I think, secondly, y- there are cost benefits to to an electric vehicle you know the number of parts in electric vehicle is an order of magnitude less than those in an internal combustion engine car um, and that translates to a lower cost of ownership um, i think what you also are starting to see are companies like aero um, that's a y r o that are building purpose-built food delivery electric vehicles so Where are these guys based it, uh, so they're based out of Round Rock, Texas. Okay. Um, they so, historically have made things like like golf carts, but are now um, building these really purpose-built um, vehicles. They're street legal. They can go on the road. Um, but on the back, they have heating and cooling units. So you can put the pizza in the heating unit. You can put the drinks in the cooling unit. And that is something that you couldn't do um, with a passive uh, system. I'm so happy you're bringing this up organically and that's anybody knows me. I'm all about organic. I I like to, I like these interviews to be my research. Like this is the research, like show your work and arrow did reach out to me to come on the show. And I was like, ah, my hands are tied. Like I've never heard of you before. Like you need to be recommended. So look out arrow. We're going to be able to get you on the show to dive in deeper. And uh, you've given me a bunch of links. What's that? Happy to recommend them. Yeah, they sound like good people. So I'm happy I'm going to make, be able to make that happen. Uh, I think we can move to logistics now. Um, we've covered a lot. If there's anything we haven't covered because I've been kind of like forcing you into these rabbit holes. Feel free to you know put me in my place. No, we're good. I think that's it for logistics. And then the last step is feedback. All right. So so feedback. Let's let's hear it. What, what, what do we need to know about feedback? Yeah. So so feedback is often. Oh, before the- you get into feedback, I. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I did ahead. look up that other company that has been recommended as far as uh, outsourcing delivery. If you just want to outsource the delivery, uh, it's called Re-Turns, T-U-R-N-Z. Have you heard of that? I have not. Where, where are they based? They're based out of, um, I want to say, San Antonio, Texas. Um, Interesting. So I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of logistics companies that have been popping up over the last year. Um, some bet. pretty cool, as a, as a total aside, um, even delivery co-ops where the company, the actual logistics company is owned by the drivers collectively. So that's something that I'm keeping my eye on or are these delivery cooperatives. I love it. Okay. Feedback, get into it. And I apologize for the interruption. Yeah. So feedback is often um, something that's either taken for granted in a restaurant because you're constantly getting feedback. Uh, You know, the manager's walking around the floor, you're seeing how the music is, you're hearing from the guests. Um, But when you outsource that component to delivery, it, the question is, well, how am I doing, right? And unfortunately, if you aren't a- 
asking and kind of regularly polling for this feedback, um, the only feedback you're going to get is negative, right? You know, when you have a great experience, unless it is just truly over the moon, you're not going to go out of your way to go leave a, a, a review on Google or or send the restaurant email. But of course, if you have a terrible experience, even a slightly bad experience, you know, you're going to you're, you're gonna gonna light someone up on, on yeah. Yelp or, or let them know. Um, the world's going to know. Yeah. So what what this means in terms of native delivery is making sure that you design for it and that you are asking for that feedback proactively the same way that your general manager would walk over to the table and say, hey, how was your meal? Anything we can do? You know, great, th- great to coming in. You know, my name's my name's Scott. Nice to meet you. Um, it's, it's starting to re- replace that bit. So after they place the order, after the delivery is done, whether it's later that day or the next day, you know, sending an email, right? On a scale of one to 10, how do we do? And then an open form, like anything you want to share with us, anything we can do better. Um, that's one side of it is, is proactively pulling and asking for the feedback. The other one is, is just making sure that you, you really do review your online feedback and that you manage that, that reputation. Um, you know, so many times guests will leave feedback uh, online or on Yelp or on Google um, and you can really turn it around by just engaging with them, right? So once you own your Google profile or own your Yelp My Business profile, um, you know you can actually respond to these guests and interact with them the same way that you would have in 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 store if there was an issue. So okay. I highly encourage re- restaurants to um, you know just take ownership over over this feedback, actively seek it out. You know it's better to hear it hear it up front and, and be able to do something about it than to hear about it six months later. Um, where you can't, where you can't fix it. I love that. Um, any other, well, actually, before we, we move on, what is, what does that practice look like for feedback? Is there a QR code that you're putting on the packaging to like, you know, scan for review? Like, what do you, what do you coach your clients to do? Yeah, I think there's a few, there's a few ways of going about it. Um, one is setting up, you know, even just like a basic survey system, right? Depending on what you want to ask, if you want to ask something you know, more specific is, you have all the emails every day. You can just download anyone who placed an order yesterday and send them out a, a link to a type form, for example. Um, there are services out there like Ovation uh, or Tattle that, that are more kind of purpose-built for this. Um, sometimes they can be a little overbuilt, but um, really it, it doesn't matter how you get the feedback. Just you want to make Survey sure- Survey Monkey is one that comes to my mind. I don't know if that's one that- Survey Monkey is, yeah. Yeah, is another great one. Um, just the main thing is, is that you're asking regularly, at okay. least every week, um, you know, ideally every day if you could, but I know that's a big ask for a lot of restaurants. So, so even just thinking once a week, sending out a survey to anybody who ordered. So you're talking um, about your email. So do you have like a segmented list within your, like your email campaign um, that you have specifically for those who order delivery? Like yeah, that, that's one way of doing it. How, how do how would you tell somebody to do this? If you're telling them right now, like get feedback and here's how you get it. Yeah, I would I would create uh, a, an online survey, right, with either type form or Survey Monkey. Uh, I would have a stock email that you know, says, "Hi, thanks for your order this week. Uh, we're we're always trying to improve our service, and would really like to hear anything you you have to say. Uh, we promise it's only three questions. Uh, they click on the link to the type form or Survey Monkey. Um, you should ask the standard NPS question on a scale of one to ten. Would you recommend us to a friend? Um, and then I would ask, you know, overall, like maybe how is the quality of your food, right? You know, and then an open-ended, um, an open-ended form. 
Got it. That's one way of doing it. The other one is if you you know don't have a, a piece of software or don't have the bandwidth to engage um, in kind of a weekly survey is is maybe once a month or once a quarter. It's less feedback and more just like consumer insights where you can say, you know, what do you think about our packaging? We're considering doing this. You know, what what how does that sound to you? And and using it ultimately as a way to close the loop and go back and inform your marketplace. Nice. Okay. I'll give you a specific example. Um, when, when I was at DigIn, we had a, a pretty large catering business and we constantly would be getting custom requests for, um, I want a, a vegetarian only option. You know, the way DigIn was set up, it was choose a base, choose two sides and choose a, a meat or, or tofu. Um, but that was a little pricey and, and guests were like, I just want to get a bunch of sides. And we heard this enough times that we eventually said, well, great, we'll just go create a new item that is, you know, pick four sides. And it was maybe a little bit of a slight discount because there wasn't a protein involved. And it immediately became one of like the top five items that was sold. Yeah. And that was just based on, on feedback and listening to your guests, but then taking action and doing something about it and changing your marketplace I mean, to accommodate. Even like putting a little square piece of paper in the bag, you know, with the contact, yeah. with a link or a QR code and the QR codes aren't as fancy as you think you are. You can print them out. Like you can, there's lots of QR code generators out there. A lot of them are free. So don't think that's like an out of reach technology. It's not. Um, yeah. And um, any final thoughts before we open it up? We did have a handful of people who joined us today. Uh, Brandon is still with us. So Brandon, if you want to join the conversation, you'll be able to do that shortly. But before we bring Brandon on, any other thoughts you have before we say goodbye? No, I think, I think that about wraps it up. You know, just, just realizing that your delivery business is just as much a part just as much a part of your restaurant as everything else. You know, it's no longer this thing on the side, um, you know, particularly when it becomes 20, 30% of your business, it's not incremental <laughs> despite what somebody might say. Um, and just making sure that you, you apply all the same, you know, love and care and hospitality to your delivery business as you would to your dining experience. Beautiful. Um, I've loved this conversation. I think there's been tons of great specific advice, lots of referrals. I love when we get referrals. Uh, Brandon, anything that we did not get to or anything that you have further questions about, now's the time to get them out. Sure, man. Uh, thanks, Scott, man. I, where were you at like two years ago, bro? You know, <laughs> I, um, so we've been doing our own native um, delivery. Uh, well, about two and a half years now we launched it. Um, I got crazy short staff, so I had to kill it for a minute um, for about three months, uh, 2019. And then we fired it back up. Uh, COVID's really like been a blessing for us, man, in terms of like, so when we shut down in-house dining, like that was awesome because, and we, I think we were down for like two months uh, here in Indiana um, and because I could focus a hundred percent of my energy on delivery and, 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 and catering or a, or a carryout, um, it, which was already a growing segment in our business, probably 20% of our, of our revenue was uh, delivery and carry out. Um, so and being, a, and, and one of the reasons why we didn't scale that is because it was, it, it's, it's, it's painful, man. It's painful to run your native delivery. We use our own, um, platform, um, point of sale system toast, um, we actually signed up with Toast because one of the reasons is because their online platform was much better than our OPOS provider, man. Um, so anyway, question. Um, and I don't know if you have the answer, but anyway, I think just, just knowing that I'm not alone is going to be comforting in this, dude. Um, <laughs> so my biggest pain in the butt is, um, is, is carry out packaging. 
consistently getting that in. Like right now, I can't find black styros just for the in-house guests. We I use the cheap black styros, which I hate because they're you know not so environmentally friendly, but um, they're cheap and effective for in-house guests. But I can't get black styros anywhere. I finally found a source just yesterday that I'm getting them in tomorrow to. Um, the plastics, uh, reusable ones, you know, forget about it. Like they're, they're impossible to find, um, uh, decompostable ones, you know, which I, I think is kind of a marketing bullshit that they're actually taking more energy and resources to produce, especially because we haven't scaled that out a lot than just a cheap ass styrofoam one that doesn't decompose because these things take 30 years. Sometimes these sugarcane, you know, ones, whatever, but anyway, you can't find those anywhere, man. Cardboard ones been around for a while. They're hard to find. Um, I don't know if you have any. I don't know if you have any solutions. But have you discovered that 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 there's others in this industry that are that are struggling with consistent Togo packaging as well? Absolutely. I mean, this this is something that we we struggle with to dig into personally. I I, you know, I mentioned World Centric as an example. There was a some time where one of their factories in China went offline. It was immediately like a six month, ba- a six month backlog before you could, uh, before you could get even just a basic half tray. Um, I think, you know, I don't have an answer there. So you, you very much are uh, kind of in the boat with everyone else, but the way that I think about this and a couple things to approach in terms of, of selecting the material, right? The, the question of comp- composting, recyclable, reusable, the future, if we were to fast forward 50 years, it, I think is going to be reusables where um, it's like the milkman. You know, you have uh, a, a piece of uh, like a clamshell box. It goes out. The guest brings it back or maybe the next delivery driver brings it back. And it's just a wash and reuse situation, which has a lot of benefits, both environmentally long term. The operational cost goes down. Um, and two, you, you don't have to keep buying new ones. You just have to replace the ones that break. Um, there are services like here in New York, like Deliver Zero, that that are already doing this. So keep an eye out for for building those, or, or think about how you can build that on your own. Particularly if you have your own drivers. Um, secondly, is looking at the put on my silver engineer hat the, the the infrastructure that's around you. You know, so um, you know, does your neighborhood have a composting unit? Does your neighborhood have plastic recycling? Does it have paper recycling? Um, knowing that 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 is different everywhere, and, and looking to buy the the materials that fit your local recycling infrastructure, and then third is I would look for for domestic suppliers and manufacturers. You know, I think a lot of times so much of this packaging really is coming from overseas or on these long haul supply chains, um, and you know you're one trade deal away or one issue at the port from from it getting held up for six months. So looking for um, you know, domestic or as, as local as possible of, of manufacturers, even if they're not your broadliners, um, can introduce a little more resiliency uh, around that supply. Does that answer your question, Brandon? For sure, for sure. Um, and yeah, I know you kind of name dropped some uh, domestic suppliers, man. And that's kind of the, the, where I've been looking at is like who the who the hell in the U.S. Has, has been has, is still manufacturing these things? You know, because everything is is in China, man. Yeah, and uh, I think that's that's maybe a separate note that we can look at. Eric is putting together a resource of like domestic packaging suppliers. Um, you know, I think Georgette I know is based domestically. Um, I can't remember the name. There's another company in Arizona that that just has got started in the last couple of years. So I think they're emerging, and it's going to be something to keep an eye on. Um, I think that as 
you know, global trade uh, rules and, and regulations shift, I expect to see more dom- domestic manufacturers. Uh, but that would be where I would look. Um, so one question that did come up in my uh, my clubhouse conversation before we got started today was do you, or should you should your customers be paying a premium for delivery on your native channel no i would like if you have a for example you're on toast right you have pickup and delivery in that case it should be the same price i think guests especially if they're your regulars they know what the cost of the of the of the veggie burger is right you know it's it's always 12 bucks and they expect that that price so I think for your native channels, your dine-in and your pickup and your delivery-based prices should be the same. What you then kind of have the question on is how you're handling your your logistics, right? If it's outsourced, that might just be a $3 fee that you're passing on. Maybe you're splitting it with a guest. Um, or if you find that delivery is now becoming 50, 60, 70% of your business, um, maybe you just raise your prices across the board on all channels to account for that fact, right? Um, you know, we just know that delivery is increasing. So that veggie burger is, it's not going to be 12 in store and 12, 13 for delivery. It'll just be 1250 everywhere. Um, I think there is some, some value to keeping your native consistent. As far as, you know, the question you asked earlier around the third party differential, I think there's a lot more room to play there depending on, um, you know, what your market looks like and how your tech is set up to, to recoup some of that premium. Yeah. Our time has come to an end. Uh, so we have to, I want to respect your time. We're going to wrap it up. But before I say goodbye, we do give my guests a chance to call somebody out. That's a tradition here at restaurant unstoppable. So who's one company or a couple companies you admire. And if they're on the show tomorrow, you would definitely be joining us live to listen to that interview. Who is that person or people? Yeah. I think, I think the first person I would call is Elizabeth Tilton over at oyster Sunday. Uh, they're a hospitality consulting group and have put out a lot of resources in the last year helping restaurants with reopening plans. Um, she and I have collaborated on a few tools for, for how to price your delivery menu and things like that. So um, she's really got a great expertise in, in all things hospitality, you know, hotels, restaurants, and helping them adapt to, to some of these modern challenges across the board. Oh, and the second company I would look at is a company called Bicky, um, based here here in New York. They they really are, are experts at this this feedback part that that continues to be a little elusive. Is that Dicky D I X I E? Bicky B I K K Y B I K K Y. All right, great. I can't wait to look into those suggestions. And Scott, just thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us today. And if we are interested in learning more, if we want to work with you as a, our own coach, what's the best way to connect? Yeah, the best way is just to head over to our website, www.figure8.delivery. That's the number eight. Um, we have a form there that you can fill out, and that'll come straight to us. Beautiful. And I'm, I'm going to see if I can't get Scott to join me again, maybe over on Clubhouse on a separate time, on a separate occasion. Uh, so if you guys are interested in joining us on Clubhouse, I am Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. And I know you're in the process of getting into Clubhouse. You haven't been invited yet. So if anybody's out there who wants to invite Scott to Clubhouse, give us your handle. 
Did you hear that? Sounds good. No, give us, give us your handle. What, what's your clubhouse? Didn't you tell me earlier? Is it? Oh, oh, my handle. Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm still new to this. Uh, it's fig eight logistics. All right. Beautiful. Somebody uh, fig, invites Scott. Number eight logistics. Yeah. Fig eight logistics. Somebody invites Scott into there. All right. Beautiful. Uh, thank you so much, Scott. We are beyond our time, so I will let you go. And uh, thank you for everybody who joined us today. Great speaking with you. All right. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to Scott Landers for dropping your knowledge all over the place. Uh, Tons of advice on creating native delivery systems in your restaurant. And again, reminder, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 777. We'll link to all the tools and services that were recommended on the show. And please be sure to, to... mention that it was restaurant unstoppable that turned you on to these tools and services that goes so far. It really does support the show. And I want to give you guys a little teaser that Scott and I are talking about collaborating on a course on a step-by-step process for implementing your own native delivery system in your restaurant. If you're interested in something like that, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I'll make sure you get on the waiting list uh, and I'll keep you posted as when that's going to drop. Uh, additionally, we got a lot of cool stuff happening over at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And if you haven't joined the network, I, I highly recommend you come hang out with us. We're having tons of live conversations. I'm literally connecting you with my network of guests that have been recommended on the show and the tools and services and people that they're recommending in these conversations. And uh, we're just going deep. We're, we're pulling back the layers and uh, I'm doing some a journalistic approach to you know uh, figuring out what it takes to be successful in the industry. I'm taking you guys along with me on this journey so if that sounds like something you're interested in if you want to connect with the people that are being recommended the tools and services that are being recommended if you want to go deep with us come hang out in the network it's 30 bucks a month as soon as you get into the network you get six months of free access to restaurantowner.com. You get two months of free access to carryluxmhr.com. That alone is a value of $280. Your first year is practically free when you come hang out in the network. Plus, you get to hang out with me at least two hours every week. Um, I'm, I'm hosting live demos over there with the technologies that are being recommended. It's a lot of fun. We're having a blast, and I want you to be a part of it. Uh, what else do I need to mention before we say goodbye? We have some cool events coming up in the network. Uh, Brian Bogert, one of our most recent guests, is joining us live on Friday, February 5th at 2 p.m. to reflect on his episode, which was a powerful episode. It was a really great conversation. So you get to connect with him if you're interested. And then we have a workshop next week on February 9th. Uh, Ryan Gromfin is going to be taking us through what he knows on opening a ghost kitchen. So if any of this stuff is interesting, please come hang out. We'll talk to you then. Until next time, peace out.